Hey guys, just before we get started, I wanted to kind of put a swear warning because I realize I do in fact swear a lot and I just kind of want to make sure if any kitties are listening that uh, you should probably stop now if unless you're a mature child. And also I'd like to say, uh, sorry mom, <laughs> let's get started with the episode. Hey guys, welcome back to the Long May Shireen podcast. I'm Aiden, I'm your host for this podcast. So, I hope everyone is doing great this week. This is going to be kind of a chill opening. I'm eating an ice cream sandwich. It's pretty great. (laughs) I've had an interesting last two weeks. It's kind of been up and down. I wouldn't say it was great. And I wouldn't say it was completely awful. It's kind of like an in-between. Lots of highs and lows, I'd say. (laughs) Um... Actually, a lot this week, I've been reading field guides, especially for my job, because I have to know a lot about, like, local plant life around the museum I work at. And I learned my favorite flower in the whole world are Queen Anne's Lace. They're, like, these, like, little pretty flowers that they grow really tall, and they're, like, bunched all together, and they look like a lace pattern, which is probably why they're called Queen Anne's Lace, named after uh, Queen Anne of... uh, Great Britain. And I just found out that they're like normal, like what people normally call them. They're actually wild carrots, which is crazy to me. I didn't know that. I I thought that was pretty cool to learn from my field guides. These field guides are actually amazing. I don't know if any of you guys have ever used Peterson field guides, but I have learned so much shit in the past couple of weeks about the different birds in the area I live in and like these awesome plants that I didn't even know we had, and some that are indigenous, and some that aren't. Anyway, I just thought that was really cool, and I wanted to share that with you guys, and I wanted to share that I'm eating an ice cream sandwich. It's very good. It's kind of melting. My room's sort of hot, so. (laughs) Anyway, enough about me. Uh, Let's get into what uh, I'm talking about today. Today, we are talking about Jodapa of Amber, a.k.a. Miriam Uz Zamani. I'm going to apologize for my pronunciation of that. I really did try and get all the pronunciations. A special shout out to my friend Arjun, uh, who lives in India. Um, When I was researching this episode, I was really nervous about a lot of the pronunciations I was going to do. So I I hit him up for uh, uh, some pronunciations and others I googled for myself because I didn't want to bother him too much. But uh, Jodha was an Indian princess um, who was selected to be the wife of Akbar the Great. He was one of the greatest Mughal emperors to like ever walk the face of the earth. And uh, Jodha and Akbar's love story is very, very famous. As I've heard in India, it's a very, very famous love story and it happens to be a very true love story. I've actually seen the Bollywood movie that's based on their lives. And that's actually how I ended up finding out about Jodha. So I'm really excited to talk about her today. Let's get into it. Okay, so Jodhapa of Amber was born maybe on October 1st, 1542. Definitely 1542 is the right year, but maybe not the date, and I'll tell you about that in a second. Her parents were Bahamal Raja of Amber and his wife Rani Champavati, and she was born in the city of Mir, also known as Amber, which is uh, now a part of the city of Jalpur in India. Now, this birthday that I found of October 1st is kind of sketchy in terms of what I found. And by sketchy, I mean I only found one website claiming she was born on October 1st. Uh, They had no sources on how they knew this. And um, this has been 
pretty consistent with all my research on Jodha because there are just like so many question marks about her life. Like we don't know a lot about her, so it was very hard researching this episode. Uh, but if she was born on October 1st, she would be a Libra, which means we are assigned twinning. Love that for us because I really enjoyed uh, researching her. So assigned twinning makes me feel very happy. Uh, so let's just stick with the October 1st date for now. Now, I have to mention right off the bat that we also don't even know what her birth name is. Now, over the years, historians have been guessing what she might have been named when she was born, but no one is really sure. Now, the name I'm going to use for her right now is Jodha, which is uh, probably the most popular name she's known by, even though there's a pretty big possibility that it was a mistake in a historical record, and that was not her birth name, but she's most famously known by this name and another name, which I'm going to... Um, talk about so let's just stick with that um as for that other name i was talking about it's actually not a name at all it was a title that was granted to her later in life and i will talk about that in her kind of confusing legacy at the end of the episode but for now let's just get into the actual story now first of all i need to give you guys some uh, historical context for the world Jodha is growing up in because the politics of this are going to be very, very important to her life. So right off the bat, we've uh, got to take it back about 20 years uh, before Jodha was born to this dude named Babur, who was a Mughal prince from Central Asia who got uh, babooted out of his lands. Uh, so he decided that uh, taking out some of the tiny independent kingdoms in the Indian subcontinent sounded more fun than taking back the lands that he lost. So that's exactly what he did. Um, <laughs> and even though he uh, ended up conquering a lot of northern India, and for probably uh, the same reason he got kicked out of his original lands, his little empire in the north of India was super unstable once he had had it entirely conquered. And when uh, Babur's son, Huma, oh no, here's the pronunciation troubles coming again. Humayun, Humayun, yeah, sure, uh, was emperor. Uh, he was ousted pretty quickly after ruling for 10 years. But uh, 15 years after he got babooted, um, he made an incredible Oscar-winning comeback. And all the people who liked him were like, yay, stability, no more fighting. Uh, but then our dude, Huma, um, ended up dying a year later. And by the way, the way this dude died is so fucking funny. Let me tell you about this. It's hilarious. I kind of want to die this way. <laughs> so he was walking down the stairs with a stack of books, as you do, because he was, he was a very, very well-educated dude. He loved books. And he heard the summons to to prayer and he was so religious he had a habit of kneeling when he heard prayer summons so he tried to kneel on the stairs with a stack of books in his hands and his foot got caught in his robe he was wearing a very long robe and he fell forward and smashed his head on the stairs and died three days later what a way to go out, man. I mean, that is just, I mean, clappity clap clap for our, our man. Wow. Now, after uh, Humayun died, his heir was a 14-year-old boy named uh, Jaladin, who will one day be known by another name, and we will get back to him in a second. Now, before we talk about Jodha's uh, education and her people's culture, let's talk 
about Joda's people's perspective on these foreign Muslim rulers, by the way, um, they were Muslims, and how her people were more down with uh, coexistence rather than resistance. Now, during the initial invasion of northern India by Babur, Joda's dad was not Raja of Amber um, at the time. By the way, Raja is basically like the same title equivalent to like king, just to make that clear. Um, anyway, uh, Joda's dad was actually the brother of the Raja of Amber at the time. And this brother was not as opposed to the Mughals like coming in and taking over as some other uh, kings were. He actually thought they were trustworthy despite him being a Hindu and them being a Muslim. Obviously very, very different religions. And he was really willing to work with them. And when Jonah's dad was eventually elected as Raja of Amber after his brothers died, he continued this very, very friendly policy towards the Mughals. Even while a child was in charge of the place, a.k.a. Jaladin, who we just talked about. Um, and this policy of friendship would end up setting up Jodah for a good life. And before we get into her marriage, let's talk about what her childhood might have been like, as well as her very, very fascinating Rajput culture. Now, just like some other women have done, we don't have a lot of documentation on what her childhood was like. It's kind of like uh, how I had to deal with uh, Roxana of Bactria. There was like nothing about her on the historical record until Alexander the Great showed up. And it's pretty similar with Jodha. We don't have any idea what her childhood was like. So, like with Roxanne of Bactria, I decided to look up what Jodha's culture was like and its attitude towards education for females so that we could get some hint at what her education and childhood would have been like. Now, it seems from my research that Hindus at the time she was born had a pretty positive attitude towards female education. Women would study literature as well as music, dancing, and they would play musical instruments. It was also common that women would be taught grammar and rhetoric and maybe some basic math to help with household management so that they could like balance the books. And uh, based on this, it's pretty likely that Jodha would have been taught these things as a kid and that she was most likely very well educated and seeing as how smart she ended up being in her later life, I assumed she was very well educated. Um, however, Rajput women after Jodha would not be so lucky. When Muslims gained more of a hold on the Indian subcontinent, they didn't see female learning as a necessity. So women were restrained from good educations when they came in, but lucky for Jodha, Hindu culture at the time had a lot more of a positive attitude towards female education. So yay, she was probably educated. Woo, learning. Um... When the Muslim rulers came in, literacy went down pretty fast in, Mo in Mughal India, which sucks. I don't know if that has changed these days, but in the late medieval era, Muslims didn't seem to value female education as much. I don't know how it is now. I'd, I'd have to ask. Um, as for culture, Jodha would have grown uh, up around... Uh, the Rajput culture, which is an ethnic group that's divided into small clans, of which Jodha was a part of. Now, 
while some Rajputs were in favor of female education, that doesn't mean Rajput women were not oppressed because in some clans, they absolutely were. Women were often secluded and separate from men, put in a different part of the home. So Joda would have likely grown up around her mother and sisters if she had any. And she probably would not have seen her father very often because he would have been in the men's part of wherever she was living. Uh, she also uh, would likely have not been a vegetarian, unlike the Mughals and some Hindus today, which I found pretty interesting because I figured she would have been a vegetarian, but apparently not. Um, in addition to her regular education, we do know that she was a very, very devout Hindu, which we will see that show up later in the story because her religion is actually uh, pretty important to the eventual religious tolerance of the whole Mughal Empire. Um, so that's going to be important. Um, as for her looks, we have no contemporary portraits of what she looked like, but based on her ethnicity, I'm, we can make some solid guesses about what she would have looked like, you know, medium dark skin tone, dark black hair, brown eyes. Um, I remember reading a few people saying during her time that she was very pretty. So I say that's a win for her in the historical books. At least people were saying that she was pretty. Um, I doubt they would have insulted her because she was the wife of the emperor, but eh. You never know. Um, okay, so uh, back to the Mughals. You remember that kid who's now in charge of the Mughal Empire after his dad hit his head on the stairs? Well, um, as it turns out, that 14-year-old was really good at being a ruler at 14. And he ended up being a really badass military commander, along with the help of the guys who were helping run the whole empire with him, because, you know, they were adults. Um, he was conquering up a total shitstorm in northern India all the way up until the 1560s. And Jodha's father was one of his biggest supporters. Like, right when he came to the throne, he was like, that is my dude. You see that 14-year-old over there? That is my fucking dude. Now, what's so interesting about this guy, who I'm going to refer to as Akbar, even though that is also a title and not his name. I mentioned that his name was Jaladin earlier. Um... Anyway, um, Akbar, he was really, really good at crushing his enemies, and he was even better at making friends with his enemies. He had married several women of different small Indian kingdoms he was conquering as a way to strengthen ties between these places, because if one of these women were to give him a son, that'd be great for relations to that one kingdom, and like many wives giving him many different sons from all these places would just be a great way to create familial bonds to these places he's conquering. And during his conquering spree, Joda ended up being a bargaining chip when her dad got in a little bit of a tussle, just a little bit, with Akbar's brother-in-law. And Joda's dad was like, hey, Akbar, can you like intervene and help me out? Because your, your brother-in-law's being kind of a dick. And Akbar was like, yeah, sure. As long as I get your complete loyalty and one of your daughter's hand in marriage. And uh, Joda's dad, Baramal, was like, sweet, yeah, you, this is my daughter, Joda. <laughs> you can marry her. And that's basically how they, how uh, Joda ended up betrothed to one of the most powerful men in the world. It was fairly simple. <laughs> now, Akbar, he's a very interesting person in general. He kind of gives me, like... Alexander the Great vibes, but like Indian. Uh, so let's discuss a bit about the family that Joda is about to marry into with no warning. Now, Akbar was born during his dumbass father's exile in 1542. So yay, they're the same age. He's not like a 
50-year-old man. Yay! Uh, and Akbar spent his time in exile with his father learning how to fight. Like, he was, he wanted to learn how to be a good king slash emperor someday. Like, that was his goal, and he was doing it, honey. Although, oddly enough, he was never taught how to read and write, which I found to be an interesting fact, which also, oddly enough, didn't stop his thirst for knowledge. Like, he was a very smart dude, but he, he never learned to read or write his whole life, which is really interesting. Um, I really hope he may have, like, taught himself to read later, because I did read that he enjoyed reading, so I imagine at some point he must have figured out how to read by himself, but him not knowing how to read for a lot of his adult life is kind of interesting. Anyway, uh, one thing I do have to mention is that Joda was not going to be his first wife nor his last wife. Now, as I mentioned before, Muslims at this time and sometimes even now practice polygamy. And I think at this time, Joda was like his third wife that he had married. Um, it's actually unknown precisely how many women Akbar ended up marrying by the end of his life, but it was quite a few as far as I know, like at least like over five for sure, like quite a lot of women. Um, also, I did some research into his ancestry because I was just curious, and it turns out via his great-grandmother, he was a direct descendant of fucking Genghis Khan. Yeah, that's right. Mongol. Genghis Khan, that Genghis Khan, which is also interesting because that's why they called his people Mughals, because it's derived from the word Mongol, just like obviously like a little change in his language. I didn't know that. It was like so fascinating to learn that he was a direct descendant of Genghis Khan, which makes sense considering how much conquering he's doing. <laughs> um, and since I found this out, I've been referring to Akbar's conquest of India as Mongols 2 Electric Boogaloo. Because <laughs> I thought it was funny. When I came up with this joke, I was like, oh, Aiden, you're so funny. Anyway, other than my bad jokes. Now, <laughs> their wedding took place on the 6th of February, uh, 1562. Uh, both of them would have been about 19 going on 20. Uh, they actually ended up getting married at a military encampment near Joda's home instead of, like, at her house, which is a little strange. Yeah. Uh, but this marriage was incredibly significant since it was two people of two faiths getting married. As far as I know, um, Akbar hadn't married anyone outside of his own religion yet. And this marriage was a way to show that Akbar was going to be respectful to his Hindu subjects instead of trying to weed them out like uh, certain monarchs do. Like Isabella of Castile, for example, she took out the Muslims and the Jews, which was super not cash money of her. Anyway, um, after the wedding, uh, Joda would have been taken to the capital of the Mughal Empire, which was Agra. Um, home of the very, very famous Taj Mahal. Uh, wouldn't have existed yet. Uh, by the time Joda went there. And actually, believe it or not, the Taj Mahal was built by Joda's grandson for his favorite wife, which I think is super cool. I'm going to cover um, that wife one day because she's also very cool lady. Anyway, um, on to Joda and Akbar's relationship because it's probably one of the most famous things about the two of them. Like I said, it's a one of the most famous love stories to come out of India. Now, there have been countless movies made about them, as I mentioned before. I've watched, like, the three-hour Bollywood movie about them called Joda and Akbar. So, I bet you're wondering, Aiden, were they really love in real life? Or was that just all Bollywood fluff? Well, yes and no. Akbar 
he was a pretty busy dude, you know, running the empire. He had a lot of wives. So if you're looking for a tragic and beautiful love story, that's not what you're going to see. But what you will find between Joda and Akbar in the historical records is an immense amount of respect between the two of them. And especially the respect that Akbar had for Jodha's religion, and I think it shows a lot about his personality. He let Jodha have a separate area in their palace specifically so she could practice her Hindu faith in private, which I think shows a lot about his feelings towards her. And I even read that sometimes when she was praying, he would participate in her prayers, which is basically blasphemy because he was a Muslim. Like, and he did this so he could learn more about her religion and about her people, which, like, y- y- you won't see most emperors doing this for anyone. And I don't think it was just about him trying to get in with the Hindus. I genuinely think he respected her and respected her religion. And I just think that a lot of their relationship was really built on respect. And I think that's really awesome for them. And I think it it's just an amazing love story is what I'm trying to say. Okay, now obviously moving from your very comfortable home to a foreign court that for the most part does not practice religion can be pretty jarring. And while we don't know much about Joda's court life, uh, I read up a lot on what Akbar's court was like for women especially, so I thought I would talk about that. Now, similar to Joda's home in Amber, men and women were kept separate, but for Muslims, they had harems built for women to stay in. Now, I bet you're wondering... Hayden, what the fuck a harem? What the fuck is a harem? Well, my dear ones, let's talk about what the fuck a harem is. It was basically a big community area for the women of the household to stay in. This included all the female relatives of the emperor, like his wives, his mother, sisters, aunts, and daughters, not to mention some of his concubines. You, um, as well as maids, female cooks. Basically, if you were a girl, you lived in the harem. That's where you went. And the only time you could leave it is if you were asked to. But to be honest, the harem was actually like pretty sweet. You'd never want to leave anyway. Everything was there. There was baths. It had gardens. The place was always stocked with food coming in. The noble women had their clothing and jewels. And there was a school and a whole market and playgrounds for all the kids that lived in there. Women especially the women of the emperor's family, were incredibly included in the harem's money, like, money circle, and would spend a lot of time negotiating trade in and out, which is maybe where Jodha learned to be such a good trader uh, later on in life. That's foreshadowing for something later. Um, Also, not to mention, the only men in there were, like, little boys who hadn't aged out of the harem life yet. (laughs) Hashtag harem life. (laughs) And (laughs) eunuchs who guarded the place. But eunuchs weren't only guards in the harem, since the harem had a division of female warriors, that's right, female warriors, sent explicitly to guard the harem, which is so fucking badass. I'd live in a harem. It should, honestly, it should come back, but obviously, like, a little more updated with the rules, because there was some pretty impressive stuff. Other than that, I'd be down to live in a harem where I could have everything I'd ever needed and the only men around are children and dudes without dicks. Sounds awesome. I just like to be able to leave every once in a while. That's all I ask if I ever have to live in a harem. Anyway, (laughs) life in the harem would have been where Joda would have been for a lot of her time married to Akbar. And as Empress of the Mughal Mughal Empire, she would shop there, eat there, sleep there, interact with her sister wives, her sisters-in-law, her mother-in-law, so 
all that pretty much sums up how she spent her time married to Akbar and what her daily life would have been like. Still, her defining moment and probably why she was Akbar's favorite wife came in the form of, of course, her providing him with an heir. Now, in 1569, Joda was doing pretty well for herself thanks to her marriage. Her family was getting crazy, ridiculously powerful in Akbar's court. Like, out of all of Akbar's generals, 13 of them were from Joda's clan, which is a huge compliment to her clan and her family. Life was pretty good for her, but it was about to get so much better because that year, Joda was expecting her first child, and this was a huge deal because all of Akbar's previous children at this point had died in infancy, so she was about to probably be the mother of Akbar's oldest son, which is huge. <laughs> um, after Akbar had lost his two oldest children with his other wives, he went to a holy man to pray for a male heir, and the holy man told him he would have three sons someday. So when Joda got pregnant, everyone was like, yay, this is going to be the first of those three boys. Woo! And close to the end of her pregnancy, she was sent to that same holy man so that he could be there when the baby was born. And on the 31st of August, 1569, Joda gave birth to a healthy baby boy. Woo! Yay! He was named Salim in honor of the holy man who had predicted the birth. And Joda was given the title of Miriam Uzzimani, which translates to Mary of the Age, which basically equated her to the Virgin Mary, which was a huge fucking deal. Giant deal. She was known by that name in most historical texts about her, and because of this, her identity has kind of gotten a little jumbled to the point where some people actually don't even think she was Salim's mother, and that his mother was, like, some, like, Portuguese bitch or something, because... In Salim's, like, life, he didn't talk much about his mother and his writings, but, like, so what? Maybe he just didn't want to write about his mother. It it just doesn't seem like me, likely to me that somehow historians have had her identity wrong this whole time and that Jodha wasn't his mother. Like, how do you, how do you fuck up the identity of the next emperor's mother? Like, I understand us maybe not knowing her birth name because everyone would start referring her to her by that title. Because, you know, shit happens. Sometimes there's misunderstandings. But that's the future emperor's mother. And, like, how could you, like, confuse her with a different person and, like, act like we're making it up all the time? It, it just seems weird to me. And I'm still of the firm opinion that Joda was definitely Selim's mother, despite the fact that other people have tried to discredit Joda in the past. And I totally think she's Selim's mother. And I totally think she is Miriam Uzzimani, our Mary of the Age. Go, Joda. Okay, so we're going to skip ahead quite a lot. We're going to fast forward uh, to 1605, so about 36 years uh, to the death of Akbar. In 1605, after nearly 50 years on the imperial throne, Joda's husband Akbar died of dysentery, which for this like badass conquering dude, this was quite literally the shittiest fucking way he could have died. <laughs> because, you know, dysentery is where you literally shit yourself to death. Anyway, um... <laughs> It was time for Joda's son to shine. Yeah. He was crowned eight days after his father's died. And when he ascended to the throne, he took the regnal name of Jankir. A uh, regnal name is kind of like the name you rule under. Like, it doesn't always have to be your name. Like, he could have been, like, Salim, King Salim. 
sorry, I'm Persalim, but he uh, chose Jang'hir instead, uh, which in Persian, I believe, translates to World Conqueror, which is a pretty big thing to live up to, considering he's following Akbar, which, by the way, uh, Akbar means great, which is hilarious because he was called Akbar the Great, and Akbar already means great, so he was literally great the great. Anyway, no. <laughs> If you thought Jodha was living the good life while married to Akbar, she was getting ten times better treatment while her son was emperor. She had tons more freedom than she did originally. Not to mention, by this time, she was a doting grandmother. She adored her grandchildren. And actually, one of her son's wives was her niece, uh, believe it or not. So at least she had a small connection back to her home in Amber. And also, that's kind of incesty. But anyway, um, during her son's reign, she became a powerhouse of international trade in the empire which as i mentioned earlier she probably had a knack got a knack for it in the harem because women would negotiate trade down there um she owned a ton of trading ships that ended up amassing a fortune so big that it made some european kings at the time look straight broke compared to her she was literally dripping in jewels a la guanza literally but in addition to her trading business she also used her ship to ships to ferry people who wanted to take islamic pilgrims pilgrimages to Mecca. So she was doing pretty good for herself. And also it's really nice of her to rent her ships out as fairies so that people can take pilgrimages to worship a deity that she herself doesn't worship. Good job, Joda. Very nice of you. Anyway, uh, she owned a boat, a boat called the Rahimi, which was one of the most formidable ships in the Red Sea. Like, everyone was scared of that ship. Until one day, it got captured by Portuguese pirates, who were literally the rats of the sea, because we have to remember that this is still the age of discovery, so Europeans are quite literally harassing every non-white person in this period, including the Indians. And when the Portuguese Portuguese captured the ship with cargo and like nearly 700 people on board they straight up refused to return it and then they burned the ship for good measure and oh y'all that did not go down well at Mughal court mm -mm -mm. everyone at court could not believe they were dis disrespecting the emperor's mother the way they were it was literally unthinkable that pirates of all people would treat the mother of the emperor this way. And guess who else was pissed? Mm, her son. Joda's son, Jangir, was fucking pissed at these Portuguese pirates. He was like, hey, fuck you, that's my mom's ship. And in retaliation, he captured a Portuguese colony city in India, which he refused to give back, by the way. And he ended up making friends with the English during this time uh, because they also didn't like the Portuguese, which would eventually lead to English domination in India many years later, which is, like, bad and good. I don't... <laughs> it definitely made a gateway for English domination. So, mm. at least Jang here had help, but, like, colonization, ew. Anyway, um... Now, as well as being incredibly powerful in the trade business, her son gave her lots of positions of honor in his court. She was the only woman to have the rank, rank of 12,000 cavalry, as well as having the exclusive privilege of being able to issue official documents, which was usually only grant, granted to the emperor and the highest ladies of the court, like Joda's mother-in-law and some of her sister wives, and eventually her granddaughter-in-law would also gain this privilege. Also, it was decreed that every noble man had to give her a jewel every new year, which just adds to the dripping in jewels already. Like, can you imagine getting, like, a nice, like, diamond from, like, every man at court, like, every new year? Like, what a great gift. 
Um, Jodha also used her power of privilege for good and did a lot of building work with her money. She built gardens, wells, and mosques in the countryside. So people who lived out far away from cities, they didn't have to walk very far to go and pray if they really wanted to. Also, I have to mention her part of the palace was like where all the action was going on because the most important things in the world took place under her roof. Like when her son had a celebration for like the solar weighing party that he wanted to have it happened in her quarters also her son married one of his many many wives that he also had in her room like and uh one of her grandsons was also married there so basically anything that was happening it happened in joda's house like that it happened under her roof if you wanted to be anyone in the Mughal court you got in with her whether you liked it or not all right guys it's time to get sad because in 1623 Jodha died. Ah. She actually died at the age of 81, which is like pretty fucking old, even by today's standards. And she was buried just a few steps away from where her husband's tomb is, which is very cute. I was actually looking at pictures of her tomb and it's, it's, God, it's a gorgeous work of art. It's made out of red sandstone, but these days it's like more pink in color. You can look at pictures, it's gorgeous. It has all these like beautiful carvings on the wall and the whole thing was built for her uh, by her son before he died a few years later in 1627. I also have to mention her uh, burial uh, because despite being a practicing Hindu her whole life, she was actually buried in the Islamic tradition, which I thought was super interesting that she chose to do that instead of her religion's burial traditions. Um, as for Joda's son, as I mentioned, he died a few years uh, later. Uh, he had been experiencing some pretty bad health over the last few years, and unfortunately, I have to say, he's uh, he's not looked on fondly by historians. He's generally thought of to have been like a weak and incapable ruler. Uh, still, some people say it was like European propaganda to make him look bad, although I did read he was quite a drinker, and also, also he might have been addicted to opium, so like maybe they were right, but like I don't want to... I don't want to give in to a colonized view of Jang here, so let's just hope that, like, he was actually, like, good, but, like, maybe, like, a little stupid. It doesn't mean he was actually terrible. Anyway, uh, let's get into her legacy. Now, I'd say Jota's legacy is definitely um, a complicated one, since there are just, like, so many question marks about who she was as a person and, like, how she grew up and stuff like that. And, of course, her name is one of those big question marks. Because of that confusion, we have people who try and claim that she wasn't Rajaput at all, but she was, like, a probably a white Portuguese woman, which I think is, like, a bit of a stretch, because I feel like if the emperor of the freaking Mughal Empire had married a white Portuguese woman, someone would have fucking said something about that. It would have been mentioned somewhere. Anyway, whatever. Whatever her name truly was, she made a massive fucking impact on the development of the Mughal Empire and during the reign of her son. I had an absolute blast learning about her, and I hope you guys did too, and I hope you guys are become interested in her. And You guys should watch a Bollywood movie. I think it's still on Netflix. At least it's still on Canadian Netflix. If you guys get the chance, watch Joda and Akbar, though you might want to pause it a lot because it's quite a long movie. Uh, see you guys in two weeks. Bye! Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you have any suggestions for topics, you can just DM me on Twitter at LongMationRain2. The N at the end of rain is replaced with a 2 instead. I'm also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and like a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, Don't forget to rate and review this podcast on all those platforms. It really actually does help the show so much and it will help me grow my audience. So I would absolutely appreciate it if 
you guys could do that. All right. Uh, bye.